0: In this edition of Hoopsology, Matt and Justin welcome the creator of beball Breakdown on YouTube, Coach Nick. Coach Nick is always a great guest and we get his insight on why fans should be taking the Pelicans more seriously. We also talk about how the Clippers have gelled together with the addition of James Harden. We discuss why Jalen Brunson should be more included in the MVP race, and we have a big discussion on with the fundamentals of basketball is really, truly missing from this era of the game. A really great discussion with Coach Nick. Um, Really appreciate his insight. He works with players on a regular basis on a youth level, so you're going to really appreciate his insight. Hoopsology is presented by Ball's Life, and now Coach Nick. He is the host of B-Ball Breakdown on YouTube. We welcome back Coach Nick onto Hoopsology. Welcome, Coach Nick.
1: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks
0: for coming back on the show. Really happy to have you. And it's appropriate timing. um, Just the first half of the season is winding down. So lots of topics just to discuss with you. So that's not wasting any time. Um, I watched the most recent video about the New Orleans Pelicans and Zion. And that's one of the teams that I think Matt and I have our eyes on for multiple reasons. And I think what really stood out to me is the Pelicans finally realizing their potential. And Zion, you know keep it on the streak of remaining healthy. Can you just explain kind of what is the result of this kind of change? Because I think in previous years, I think the Pelicans have been somewhat of a disappointment, but yet um, even though their seeding, might not jump out to just your average NBA fan. According to you, it seems like they have a lot of momentum to make a little bit of a deep playoff run.
1: Oh, absolutely. They're definitely being slept on in a weird way because Zion is one of the most exciting players in the league. And uh, he has been healthy. A little bit unclear to me uh, why compared to other years, you know what I mean. Uh, in terms of uh, you know, I don't think he's thinner than he has been in the past or whatever. It's just or maybe it's just the luck of the draw. And it's not even not even injured. You know, knock on some wood. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, Willie Green has come out of the mold from you know being an assistant to Steve Kerr for very briefly, and then his other passes really put together a great game plan uh, that makes them just really difficult on both ends of the floor. Uh, And that's what's unique about them is they have a lot of length defensively to cause problems and havoc. And then they have um, some unstoppable forces on the offensive end, too, with a lot of spacing, a lot of movement. Um, So they're going to be that team that nobody wants to play in the playoffs.
0: So with Zion in particular, a lot of scrutiny on him just regarding his weight. And again, you can't really put your your finger on it. If he stays healthy for the remainder of the season, if the Pelicans, you know, move up in seating or to even advance um, late in the playoffs, what kind of effect do you think this will have on his game? Because I think this season, correct me if I'm wrong, would be kind of the, the first season where it's actually positive in terms of just kind of people evaluating him just in terms of like different metrics. So, you know, if things continue to go well, do you think this will play into future seasons for him?
1: I, I would think so. I mean, I think he, you know, uh, it, it's a lot of times it's unfair when you get injured. You know, it's just something you can't really control necessarily. But for him, because you can point to perhaps the excess weight is causing those injuries and that he could control that in theory, uh, then that's a negative on him and whatever. Uh, it would be nice to get into a, mo- a mode where we just admire the guy as an unstoppable player anywhere near the basket his points per game average is actually a lot lower than we'd seen it in the past. And, um, it's not necessarily because of the field goal percentage. I suppose that the team is better around him, right? So he, he doesn't have to do as much. Um, but that, that's, uh, I would anticipate at some point, um, um you know, uh, uh, that going back up as well. Like maybe finding a more of a, of a playoff uh, rotation where he goes, you know, maybe a little bit more than the 30 and a half minutes per game he's playing. And then you'll see the points go up again. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, he should be cemented as an, uh, a perennial all-star and a guy that will shoot an incredibly high percentage uh, of field goals and, uh, and, and be a guy who, you know, it's just, is a, it's a handful. Uh, and in the playoffs, that that's a real value. Coach beyond the health of Zion and, you know,
2: kind of good circumstances, what else are you seeing from the Pelicans that make them maybe more of a threat this year in previous years? Is, is it continuity, more time together just on this team's timeline as a unit or more beyond
1: that? I think it's a good question. I think um, I think it's all those things. I think it's sort of con- the continuity. You know, they had gotten CJ McCollum uh, in midseason, and now he's been there and has a lot of uh, you know, good base. Willie Green, you know, is another year of experience as a head coach that he didn't have before. Uh, that's important. Uh, I'm trying to think, you know, they have a young team. You know, Herb Jones is coming. Is this a guy who, you know, you don't want to have to play against if you have the ball in your hands. You know, he's a really tough defender. Uh, and, you know, again, young. Uh, Trey Murphy is another guy who comes in here as the youngster and and you know finding a nice role, um, you know. So it, I think it just takes time sometimes, and it's nice to see the team they've been able to keep together the core for a couple seasons in a row. Uh, so I'm not surprised at all. This, this would you know when you look at it on paper. Uh, they have a great mix, uh, a lot of great athletes in length and defensive focus. They have a great mix with uh, offense as well. And so it felt like it could have just been a matter of time, right, until they could stay healthy enough, although Brandon Ingram, I think, is now the next you know, person who's not staying healthy for us. Um, but if they can figure that all out and get into the playoffs ready to go, then, again, um, I don't know. I mean, the question that what I keep saying is, you know, no one wants to play them. But what does that mean for their fortunes? How far do they get? What about you guys? How do you? How far do you feel like they can get in the playoffs? Ah, uh, it's a good question. I, I would want to see who they're matched up against,
2: um, because I'm not sure how certain matchups would handle Zion and and be able to control that. You know, like I think back from a couple years ago, being matched up against the Suns again. You know, that was a very fiery first round matchup between those two teams. And with the new look Suns, I'd be curious to see um, if they could slow down Zion, you know, do you see any of any particular advantages that Zion has against maybe higher seated opponents potentially in the West?
1: Ooh, uh, that's a good question. Uh, Like, let's see who above them would not be able to handle him, I guess is the question, right? Like, right. You know, if you put like KD on him, I would actually like to go through the footage and see uh, how that's gone in the past. Because I know that KD does not like uh, um, physicality at all, right? Mm. And if, if, uh, if Zion gets his shoulder into his chest, like that would be over for KD, I would imagine. Um, and uh, who else do they have? They have Nurkic, uh, who isn't a good enough defender, I don't think, to handle that. So, I think the Suns would have a problem with him. Um, the, the fun thing about the Suns is you get to have like Brandon Ingram against KD because they're sort of similar, right? Uh, that yeah. would be fun to watch them go at it. Uh, Denver, uh, Aaron Gordon, by the way, uh, against uh, Zion would be great. Uh, and I think that the Denver, you know, that he has enough to offer strength wise and mobility wise that, that he could make a problem for, for Zion for sure. Um, you know, I'm I mean, keeping to up the up the ladder right now, and the Clippers are in third. You know, they have Paul George, they have Kawhi Leonard at those forward spots, um, and and where they, you know, the, you know that Zubats would be taking would have to deal with Valanciunas. So um, that's interesting. You know, I, I think they could kind of cobble it together a little bit. Those two guys are really great defenders, PG and um, and Kawhi. They don't have the strength really, uh, but they could probably figure something out. I think to, to kind of contain them a little bit. And then OKC, you know, by committee, they probably could, you know, do do some stuff. I don't know. Like who would have to be like Jalen Williams? Um, Yeah. You know, that they're probably struggling a little bit more with size like Phoenix. Yeah. To an extent. You know, if Chet comes over, I have to pick him up. Like he'd get bullied under the basket, but Chet uh, is always great at like recovering off of those. So he'd still be able to get a hand up maybe, although he might be getting a hand up as he's getting dunked on. So that might not work so well for him. (laughs) <laughs> um, and then, you know, I don't think Carl Anthony Towns could deal with him very well. So, you know, so there are those, there, there's a handful of teams that are above them, uh, that, uh, would have a problem keeping him from shooting 60% from the field and getting his 20 some points. You mentioned the Clippers and I'm curious to get your thoughts on them because
2: I've, I will confess to you initially, I, I was one of the naysayers on this trade um, acquiring James Harden um, and they really have have clicked and, and credit to them for, you know, being mature enough to figure out how to distribute the ball for Westbrook going to the bench and figuring this all out. But there's a big difference from figuring that out in the regular season to being a legitimate problem in the playoffs where do you see them as far as like a, a threat to advance in the playoffs a few rounds?
1: You know, um, I I was kind of sold uh, when they were putting this thing together. And it was, again, it was, it just must've been brutal if you were a Clippers fan um, to not have PG and Kawhi healthy for the first, I think two and a half or three years. Um, and they've decided to be healthy. They are, they are healthy. However, that's working out for them. I was at the game against the Pelicans and got to see them up close. And then they just beat the Warriors who were on a roll. Um, so you have, you have a, a nice balance and perfect mix of everything you would need, right? You have uh, in the modern game, you have the two, uh, elite defenders at that position. While you know, they know how to pace themselves in the regular season, but when it gets to the playoffs, Kawhi Leonard and PG are going to be elite defenders and they're going to be able to play, uh, whoever they need to play, whatever size to be able to handle that. Uh, Zubats, I really like, he's got a, you know, a nice little game around the basket. He knows how to move his body. Uh, he can hopefully stay out of foul trouble against the good teams, uh, and get them minutes. And then um, all the other role players fit together really nicely. Harden, not a role player um, as well, has been able to really uh, sort of get back to his OKC roots, right? And so again, like that's the thing that nobody's going to want to play them either. The Warriors had them; they had them down like 14, 15 points at the end of the third quarter. It was over. Uh, the, the Clippers look listless and not interested, and then they just turn it on and become unstoppable. Norman Powell is hitting you know pump fake three pointers over and over again in the third, uh, in the uh, in the fourth. Uh, But primarily because Harden, PG, and and, um, Kawhi uh, absorb so much gravity that uh, those guys get easy shots up the wazoo. So I I have a feeling what's going to hold them back would probably be a guy like Norman Powell if he doesn't – he's the X factor to some degree. I don't even know what Terrence Mann is anymore. He doesn't seem as uh, as impactful uh, this year as he had been in the past. So a guy like Norman Powell and then a guy like Russ – Uh, You know, are going to be the two guys that are going to probably end up deciding a number of those games. Um, And that would be uh, that's going to that's their fate. I think that Ty Lue is sort of a a, has accepted that because the West is so good. um, You you know, you can't show up with Kawhi PG and uh, Harden and just assume, yeah, you're going to win a series anymore. Um, but uh, that's where those guys are going to come into play. So Russell have to play well, and, and he has been doing nicely. I've been a guy who's been a critic of his for a long time, um, but uh, he has been able to find a niche primarily because they limit his minutes to about 20, right? So they're sculpting away the things that would drive me nuts or a coach nuts because of the minutes restriction, basically, and you're getting more and more like the good Russ. So it's a long-winded answer to your question, but um, I'm not even sure did I answer your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: No, I I think we're seeing like, you know, you mentioned, I I think a good amount of versatility that they might have to be able to throw at opponents in, in the playoffs. Um, and maybe it's more top heavy, you know, which was kind of my initial concern is lack of trust for the team, just given the unfortunate history in the past couple of years. But, um, it, I mean, you do cut rotations down in the playoffs, as as you know better than me, and maybe that serves them very
1: well. Oh yeah, absolutely. So you'll see a lot of those guys. I mean, Russ is actually up to twenty three minutes a game. It was a little bit lower than that for a while when he went to the bench, which I thought was the right move. Like he needed to go to the bench because of his his lack of gravity was getting in the way of everybody else. So um, yeah, so they're going to end up cutting those yeah those minutes. All the other minutes are going to go up. You'll see James Harden play. 37 minutes in a game, probably 38. And then it's the same with the other guys. Um, so it's less important in theory, right. To, to deal with, um, with what, how depth, how deep you are. But again, Russ has a lot of experience uh, in the playoffs, deep in the playoffs. So he knows how to deal with that too. Um, it's that's important. Now, You know, is P.J. Tucker and Bones Highland going to continue causing problems? I I don't know. Um, They probably will make sure they're not with them if that's the case. But, um, you know, P.J. Tucker's a guy who, you know, in a pinch could help you shift the playoff game, you know. Um, you got to keep him a little bit fresh I don't think I think he's probably gotten DM pieces is why he's so upset I remember you know when I was at the game seeing him I'm like oh yeah you forget about P.J. Tucker and he's a guy who was very recently starting on you know a playoff team that went deep you know so I get it uh, on his point of view why he'd be so upset but you can't you can't be causing distractions like he, that him and bones were doing
0: I want to shift to the Eastern Conference and another video put out and that is the the New York Knicks. And Jalen Brunson, um, they're sitting at fourth in the Eastern Conference as a recording of this podcast. Where do you see that the Knicks? I think they always gain a lot of media attention. Do you think they are for real with, with Thibodeau? Like how much of a threat do you really see them against kind of the top tier just within B with his injury troubles? Do you really think they can kind of make a run at the top of the conference? Or do you, do you think they're maybe a couple of years away? Like how do you see this ascension of the Knicks so far?
1: Well, I think the moves they made just now are this is win now. They want to take advantage of Philadelphia, who is really reeling without Embiid, which makes sense. Um, and there, there's an opening there. Uh, are the celtics for real? I don't know you know they, they've been hammering everybody and they have a really good roster if they're healthy but uh you know adding boyan bogdanovich was big adding Burks is is helpful uh, although again all those minutes are going to be juggled we have to see everybody healthy together we have we haven't seen them with OG and with Randall yet um, but they have everything on paper and before those moves were made before bogdanovich shows up um, they were really onto something and I think that you know having, um jalen brunson as the lead attack uh is something that will is sustainable i know there was talk about you know you can't have a guy that size be your best player but i don't know i mean steph curry did it did it you know has won one of few titles that doing that way so um i i think that uh brunson should be in the mvp conversation i feel like he's carrying the world the weight of the world on his shoulders with these guys um and when randall comes back that'll help um but you got you know a, a lot of great um, ingredients here for a very tough team. Uh, the only question I have maybe is like maybe Tibbs' communication style. Does that possibly hold them back? I'm kind of big on that as far as the coaching. You know, in the modern era, you need you, you need to be able to have players in a, in a flow state as much as possible because they have to be able to hit threes, right? And if you want, let's say you're a fourth seed and you want to make a deeper run and play over your heads generally in the modern game, it's because you're going to start getting hot from the three-point line, right? Like that's like the conventional wisdom, uh, the unconventional conventional wisdom. And so um, knowing what it takes and how the brain reacts in the face of anger and disgust and all those negative communication traits that coaches sometimes use, like Tibbs, um, you you might put a ceiling on how uh, well you're going to shoot and are you going to get hot or not. And uh, I worry about that. It might just be all new age hogwash and doesn't really apply. But, you know, in my experience, I feel like it does. We're talking about shooting the ball from 26 feet away, which is far. Um, and so that's that's the big question for me is the only way they're going to be able to beat someone better than them. And maybe who has a home court advantage over them would be to get hot. That's why Bogdanovich is so big, because they keep playing uh, Brunson in these lineups that have three non shooters. There's no room for him. As a result, you know he he can't get to all the way to the basket, so he turns those drives that get cut off into the best post-ups we're going to see in the NBA, bar none. The best post-up player in the NBA is Jalen Brunson. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't do it the way Embiid and Yokeids do it. He does it off of a drive and then becomes a post-up, which I think is awesome. And every every guard should be doing this. But anyway, a long answer to your question is um, they they have all the ingredients, and it's a question now. I need more data. I need to see all these guys healthy, ten games. Figure out how Tips is going to get their play of the offense together, um, and and by the way, despite having no uh, 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 spacing for Brunson, they're still an elite offensive team. And I, I'm not even sure I understand that. I think we you know there's, there's the notion of offensive rebounds and putbacks, but um, that worries me a little bit because they need better spacing, and they've made the, the, the appropriate moves to find it.
2: Nick, I want to go back to what you mentioned with communication style and and Tibbs there, because I find that really fascinating. Do you think that his communication style is integral to the defensive identity on that team? Like if, if his style were to change, if he could change that, would it harm the defensive side of that team? And can, can you just dig in, unpack that a little bit more for us? Like, is it specifically angry reactions to things or things that stop the action that he does what do you mean sure. by the communication style
1: well it's a two-parter because uh, when you talk about uh julius randall one of the things that's confounding about him is that he's kind of like jekyll and hyde right mm. and it might even be a personality thing where he just comes in hot he comes in cold and you never know what i've noticed and i've asked some people who are following next even closer than i do um, what I've noticed is that it seems like the Villanova guys might have like, recognized this and have taken upon themselves in a very um, you know, thoughtful manner to keep him in as positive a, a frame of mind as they can, joking around with him, always you know, trying to keep it light with him, because if he does get into those funks, he just starts to play bad and play very poorly and not doesn't do all the good stuff, which we see, which is when he's into it and he's positive, he is not only, you can't stop him down low, but then he's making great passes when he d- draws the double teams. He's just, you know, he's just more integral to that. Now the, on top of that, if you have a coach who's like, you know, is grinds and grinds and grinds and rarely smiles, rarely uses any kind of positive reinforcement, even when they force the other team to call a timeout, when the Knicks go on a run and they come in the huddle, you know, he's just it's just the, the body language is, is, is down and it's it's very much, you know, he'll think it's serious and it's intense and it's all the things he wants. And that's I know this because I grew up and we're almost the same age. It's like I know what the thought process behind that is. But if you want to be able to build upon great play, uh, I think it helps to get your players in a more positive frame of mind. You know, he could say, well, we're going to bring players in that are tough and they don't need that. and yada yada. But I tell you, it helps no matter what. And the players that say to, the, uh, to me that I've heard say, I need that kind of coaching to play hard is soul killing a and then B it only tells me that they've never had a coach that used emotional intelligence to, pro- to properly coach in the modern game. Now, that mm. said, I have detected Thibodeau laughing. I've seen footage this year of him in the middle of a game, not smiling, laughing. <laughs> this, is, this is something we've never seen before. Um, he, I think that was one of his podcasters before this. They were saying that it's because they're winning so he can be a little bit more happy. But I would argue if you're a little bit more happy, then you'll get more winning. You know, I think mm. that's the order. He, does, he probably goes backwards on that one. Um, but whatever it takes, if we can channel more of that, tips, I think that it'll unlock more uh, for the team itself. And follow-up
2: to your comments about Jalen Brunson, just subjectively from what you're seeing out there, why isn't he talked about more in
1: the MVP discussion? You know, it's always the short guys like that who get forgotten. At least he's getting all these opportunities. He's leading a team because, you know, the Mavericks probably didn't value that as much as they should have. I did a video where I was able to show, that he was as important as Luca was when they were playing together in that playoff run. Like he he was setting up Luca as much as Luca was setting him up, and he was causing as much uh, trouble on the defense to the defense as Luca was. Um, but you know, guys that size always get you know forgotten or pushed aside. They assume that they're not going to be as good as they are, um, and it's been that way forever. Um, now in New York, you would think that this is now the media capital, and they're going to be able to make a big push. I don't. I guess it's the Knicks' shortcomings. They need to be pushing it more. I I, I did the video on him about a week and a half ago, and I I thought I kind of made it clear, and usually I can nudge that conversation a little bit into that direction. But we need to have that. If they're fourth or they're third in the in the Eastern Conference, um, that and he and he's doing most of the work on this. He needs to be in that conversation. And I feel like something. The Knicks people told me there's a there's a rankings of MVP right now. He's not in the top 10. Wow. Like Sabonis wow. is above him. That's <laughs> ridiculous and that needs to change. So I'll take some of that burden. It's my fault. I got to make sure on Twitter or whatever <laughs> I'm making that point, but um uh we need to we need more MVP chance, I suppose in at the Garden too.
0: So coach, I want to get your take on this. There's been a lot of conjecture this on Twitter, um, post-game press conferences about the fundamentals missing from the game of basketball, both on the collegiate level, on the pro level, by coaches, by some players, just in terms of a lot of players coming through the AAU system and just, you know, a really kind of a paradigm shift in how players are coming through just the ranks. And I just want to get you watch a bunch of, you know, tape on a regular basis. Do you think this is true? Do you think this is a cause for concern? Like some other coaches are saying, um, just in terms of kind of the changing landscape of this NIL and just AU and just kind of different alternatives. Like there's overtime, there's, you know, more international, there's players seeking different avenues instead of just playing high school and going to college. Now kind of, there's a lot of disruption in terms of how players end up going professional, um, are these concerns warranted? Like, where are you, where are you seeing in terms of the fundamentals of the game?
1: You know, I, I like teaching fundamentals, right? It's fun. It's like, oh, you don't know this? This is like the first time you're going to watch Charlie and Chocolate Factory. You know, I, I get to experience this with you. If you take the tack, which we've seen other coaches in the NBA publicly talk about, uh, of a frustration where they don't know this, and you're like, what's wrong with you? Why didn't you learn this in college? Why didn't you learn this in high school? you're going to turn the player off and then good mm. luck trying to teach them what you want to teach them. Right. So that's one of the issues I think, because, okay, what are they going to say? They're probably going to complain that they don't know how to move out without the ball. Right. That's probably one you hear about. Well, interestingly enough, I work with a, an AAU program in, in, in LA and uh, in, in a ragtag group of kids, you never know who's going to show up each week to work with or whatever. And um, I remember asking them, cause it's like, I know when I was growing up, if I was in the wing. And the ball was passed to the high post. I cut back door like that was no one ever taught me that we just did it. We knew it. It was intrinsic. Whatever. I asked them. I said, okay, like it seems like we've lost some of these these rules or whatever we used to know. And I said, what what do you do if you're on the wing and the ball's thrown to the high post? And they all said back door. I got to cut back door. They know it, right? They might not do it right, but they did somehow know it, which is surprising to me, but in a pleasant way. Um, and so I don't know. I feel like you know if a professional athlete has a deficit in some sort of skill, let's say it's moving up a ball, it, you should be able to teach that professional athlete, whatever that is in, you know, 10 minutes. You know what I mean? If we're talking about how to move, you know, in, in an action, in an offense, right. specifically, you know, whatever uh, it shouldn't take that long. You're upset that they don't have to set a screen properly, right? That should take 10 minutes to teach how to set a screen properly. If they're a professional athlete, they should pick it up pretty darn quick. So I think a lot of this is overblown. You know, it seems like, um, in dealing with, uh, you know, I'm, I'm generating one of my gen X, I'm gen X. When you deal with the millennials, a lot of the time, um, they just don't know. And maybe are you, you guys are millennials, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, my my wife's a doctor. She's got a practice and she hires, you know, nurses and whatever. And a lot of times she's upset because they're not like quote unquote, like working hard enough. And what my response to her is like, you just got to tell them, it, you know, and once you tell them, you know, the money's like, Oh, okay, great. And then they're great. They, they totally get it. But our generation tends to feel like I don't need to tell anybody that they should just already know that. And okay, if you want to take that tra- track, then you're just going to be frustrated. You know what's mm. the big deal? Tell them they might not know it, and it's clear to them now, and then they'll do it. Generally, that's how that's been my experience. And uh, but I know I've had that reaction too, where I'm like they should know this already. This is professional. Blah, blah, blah. They didn't what, they, Okay. So what, they don't know that they need to work a little harder or they need to like, you know, stop asking that question, whatever it is. Um, and, and from my take on it is that you, your generation is really receptive to that and probably needs it. And once you get it, then everything is great. So, um, you know, I, I probably, you know, I've had this like evolution in my coaching style, my communication style over years, because I was raised with the other kind of coach, you know, the Bobby Knight style. And, um, you know, it, it took a long time to kind of re, uh, reprogram every all my initial reactions to get to there. Uh, but I got to tell you, it's a much nicer world to be in. Right. When you are excited to show somebody something and uh, and you want to roll your sleeves up and 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 teach them. And by the way, if we're talking about even like lower levels um, and, and having buy in and having that culture, everyone always talks about. Well, I, I know this is a left turn, but, you know, Back in the day, it was I had to trust that the players would do what I'm telling them to do, right? That was the only a one-way street there, and that's dictated playing time and all the relationship and everything. Well, the players need to trust that you want to help them get as good as they can be. And if you accept that as sort of a neutral meaning halfway, you'll get that buy-in that you're looking for. And if you're constantly saying, no, 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 I don't, I'm not, you don't, you don't trust me. I I am, I'm only trusting you and you have to do what I tell you to do. Well, then you're just going to be a frustrated coach for the rest of your career and never have that buy-in or randomly on every other season have one and, and maybe you'll have a successful season, but we're talking about building something that lasts, right? So you'd ha- you have to convince the the players that you care about them, and there's no better way to do that than to roll up your sleeves, get out there one-on-one, you know, after practice, before practice, and and teach them in a constructive way certain things that you think that they uh, would benefit from.
0: Um, Coach, I also want to get your take on a recent blown call uh, where we you're talking about the Knicks, uh, Matts, Houston Rockets, just an egregious call in my opinion. Um, was this just an anomaly with the refs, or do you see this with your um, – tape watching studies is this a trend in terms of this, such an egregious call dismissed by these threats of the nba
1: well full disclosure on twitter i end up doing a lot of uh um, defending of the referees right explaining the rules exactly how they process it why they got to their to that um that result uh th- they make uh the correct call 93 percent of the time something crazy like that They really are that good uh, that specific call, and by the way, the, the Knicks fans felt like they got screwed a lot. There was a, a oh, Dylan yeah. Brooks drive and I've had to defend that when the defender is not in legal guarding position, which is an anomalous term, but you got to kind of be square to the defender in front of, in their path, directly in their path, uh, for contact to be legal where it wouldn't be a foul on the defensive player. Um, so I defended a few of these that have triggered people, uh, and did it once earlier this year. And then, uh, Patrick Beverly, again, uh, should be against, uh, Curry. And so, um, you know, and I try, I do my best. Most people are already so predisposed, they don't even want to hear it, but I try. Uh, Now, the Dylan Brooks drive, as an aside, you know, there is a caveat in the rules for if, even if you're not in legal guarding position, if the offensive player veers in a overt way into the path of the defender, then that's an offensive foul. And like they totally blew it on that one that Dylan Brooks just lowered his shoulder and leveled Brunson out of the way. Uh, and so I know Knicks fans were upset about that one too. And then, okay, the problem with the last call that gave the game to the Rockets was that, uh, first of all, you shouldn't be that close to the shooter when you're closing out by Brunson. Uh, so that was a risk that, you know, by the way, did you see how close the shot went going in? Oh, yeah. So yeah. it, it almost went in. So, so you, you got to give Grunson, like, you know, he got it. Like, you got to contest that because he probably could make that and then the game would be over anyway, right? Another one of those The skills have evolved so much that making a 35 footer is, is nothing anymore. Um, but so I get why he wanted to contest. And I liked how he did it. He glided by to the side. He was trying to get out of the way and not, you know, touch him. The, the referee got stacked a little bit where uh, he was in line with, um, as Brunson kind of passed between him and the offensive player. So he really couldn't quite see what he wanted to see. Um, and, and when that happens, you probably just shouldn't blow the whistle then, right? Because you can't get it exactly. You're not positive then don't blow it. Um, was there some contact down low after the release? Yes. Was it uh, marginal? Yes. Did the, the the lead official at the end of the game, after reviewing it, say it should not have been called? Yes. Now, are they protesting it? Will anything happen? Probably not, <laughs> but maybe. Um, I think they had one protest, right? Shaq a long time ago, and then Shaq was right. traded for me from the team when they had the replay of, the, of, that, of that part. <laughs> um, So, you know, it is tough. I really wish it didn't happen on that play where he got stacked and then made that call. I wish uh, Tibbs still had his uh, his challenge. That would have been nice that he used before. Um, You know, all those things happen, and it really is unfortunate. Um, And it was a bad call, and it does happen. They're human.
0: Coach, this has been a fantastic chat. Please let our audience know where they can find you on social media, where they can find your channel on YouTube, any other projects you're working on as well.
1: Uh, sure. Well, you know, YouTube is really the the, the hub. And so b-ball type in b-ball it'll you know, autofill because I've been doing it that long. Um, and then, you know, b-ball breakdown, obviously on Twitter is another big place. I'm going to start doing some more uh, TikToks. I have a new okay. thing I want to do on TikTok for I'm going to break down, uh, you know, individual plays that people I think will should like. Um, but, you know, Twitter and YouTube b-ball breakdown, that's where you can find me. And uh, I want to thank you guys for letting me talk your ears off today. I know I I don't know. It must be in the air. I'm, I'm, I, have a, I have a lot to say today. So thank you for letting me uh, uh, indulge. Always yeah, enjoy of,
0: it. Of course. Yeah. Always love picking your brain and we'll love to have you on again. Thank you very much, coach. I'm in. Thank you for listening to Hoopsology presented by Boss Life. If you have comments or questions about this episode, please email hoopsologypod at gmail.com. Also, leave us a review at iTunes and follow us on all social media platforms.